Tara, thanks for joining us today on AML Conversations. Um, so I want to dive right into this. A couple things. We've been able to speak to folks in the gaming industry and vendors in the industry, but we haven't yet had the opportunity to speak to law enforcement and those that do oversight in gaming and financial crime prevention and AML. So I thought it'd be a great opportunity both to to hear what you're seeing um, out there, and you're obviously based in Nevada, and also maybe some recommendations you you may have for an industry that, at least from my sense, um, they seem to embrace that they have obligations. You know, obviously there's uh, um, been enforcement act, other things that you know, always make banks and non-banks pay attention. But give us a sense of, of how the industry is and and how things are going out there in Nevada. Okay, yeah. So some of the same things exist that have existed for you know quite some time. Uh, large cash deposits, we're still seeing those. And a large cash deposit, deposit on its own isn't a bad thing, but it's what's behind that cash deposit, right? Also, the use of any names continues. Um, the use of shell companies can, and just you know, an, an abuse of anti-money that individuals are able to find. Um, before I tell you about the newest trend we're seeing, I will tell you that we have seen great strides in the industry. Going back to even when I came to Vegas four years ago, level of compliance with the industry was good, but it wasn't as solid as it is now. There are regular conversations with um, individuals from all aspects, right, of the casinos and the anti-money laundering industry. They're providing us leads and these leads are substantial and they're turning into investigations, which law enforcement perspective, but I think also gets, you know, maybe some characters outside of the casinos that they might not want there. The other side of that is as one casino turns over um, a really good set of information on some criminal activity going on, if that same criminal activity is occurring and they're not turning over, um, you know, that's concerning for law enforcement, how one place detects it and the other doesn't. Um, but I did want to tell you about the that we're seeing in Las Vegas, and it's the use of money processors. So casinos are introducing Chinese gamblers to money processors to get U.S. currency in order for those gamblers to gamble. Sort of like a trade based money laundering where the casino mm -hmm. host contacts the money processor, that person delivers the money to the Chinese national gambler. And remember, Chinese national gamblers, Chinese individuals are not allowed to bring more than 50,000 into the U.S. at any given time due to capital control restrictions. So on the front end, the money processor obtains the currency from various sources. And that is where certain of these sources are drug tra trafficking organizations processing rings, human trafficking, um, various other businesses that are, are trying to, you know, shift their currency outside of the view of the government. Um, but then basically on the back end, there's a monetary exchange, perhaps between bank accounts in China. So this exchange occurs without ever hitting the U.S. financial or any of the systems, right? And so there's a transaction here that gets the individual cash and then they, in essence, pay it back. Um, in China with no money switching countries. So that's one that we've seen quite a bit lately. We do have two individuals, um, Bing Han and Lei Zhang, who were Chinese money processors um, that we were able to um, somewhat recently for their role in being money processors. Uh, separate question for you real quick, just in terms of uh, working with other 
law enforcement entities. What's it like in general working with China? It's obviously, whether it's China or Russia or some of these other um, countries that are you know, different than maybe ones in which there's been long relationships, how difficult or um, easy is it to share information? Do you, do you find at least the law enforcement entities there that are willing to work with the U.S. or is it a challenge? It's a challenge. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, we work through all quarters, right? That has a section. Um, but when we're working these cases on the money processors, we're doing it domestic, handling the domestic side of the transactions, um, which does give us enough, you know, to, to prosecute individuals breaking our laws. But right. we aren't getting anything out of the other country. Gotcha. OK. All right. So in, in addition to that, just uh, going back to your uh, comments about the industry, um, several years ago, I was I was out in Vegas and sat through a program that I'm sure you you were participating in. And I say that because I did a panel and I had to go. But generally speaking, what's the outreach like with the gaming industry? Because in the banking industry, we are very fortunate that a lot of your colleagues from IRS and the other law enforcement agencies have been very active in uh, partnering and doing training uh, or an outreach and, you know, examples and trends there with the private sector. Is the gaming industry pretty open to that as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have the opportunity. Well, COVID, of course, has changed some things, but generally I have the opportunity to get together with some of the executives from all the different properties at least once a month. And that's normally the security side, but it does seem like there's great communication in these various casinos now where somebody higher up on the security side might be able to give me some information on a potential AML scheme that's going on. In addition to that, there's at least a quarterly anti-money laundering meeting that brings together all different law enforcement, you know, from locals to us, to DEA, to the civil side of the IRS, with really anybody from the um, compliance section of whatever casino wants to come. And so we've had even California casinos come in and join our AML meetings um, just to hear what's going on and to share with us what they're seeing out there. And I mean, those are great sources. And, and that, that meeting actually changed, gosh, sometime probably six or so months ago where the industry gets its own meeting beforehand, right? So if they don't want to maybe right. speak out of turn, they do their own meeting beforehand and then law enforcement comes in and we have this open meeting together. And that's proved to be really, really beneficial, you know, just for something like follows files a SAR, it works both ways. They know who to call in law enforcement to give the heads up on, I want to keep your eye for this SAR. And then we know who to call and say, hey, you filed this SAR, but can you give us a little bit more detail? You know, sometimes linking transactions to their SARs, which to them might not seem like a big deal, but to law enforcement, it's saving quite a bit of time. Um, but knowing who to call that is actually really helpful. No, that's great. No, that's great. So what other things are you seeing? Um, so a couple other things, you know, we've been harping on this over the past, you know, couple of years is source of funds. Source of funds is another one that can be greatly concerning. You know, that ties into the third party payments, right? So if an right. individual racks up some sort of large debt at a casino and then they leave, that debt is later paid off by another individual from a And a lot of times these stars will say, unknown relationship, unknown source of funds, un unknown something. And obviously that's not helpful to law enforcement. Um, and I understand that there's complications where sometimes the casino can't go back and figure out what the source of funds are. But, you know, that's to talk to every available resource they can, you know, the hosts on the floor, 
we've found are some of the most um, knowledgeable people inside that casino because they're the ones that are interacting with the gamblers. And just talking to a host might be able to help, you know, source of funds. Maybe it's a business partner. Maybe it's, you know, who knows what, but they can at least draw that connection for you. Um, another thing we, we see still, but not as great of an extent as, as runners in sports books, you know, with mobile gaming, it's obviously become um, easier to, to do some of these things without having to go into the casino, but it still happens on occasion where he's sitting in the back of a sports book, placing bets, you know, he's got six, eight, 10 phones laid out in front of him and calls and handling his business. Um, but, you know, the bets are actually being placed by that individual. So it's not tied back to the person who's actually laying down the money. Um, and then this doesn't happen often, but when it does, it can be very concerning. Um, transactions conducted by the host themselves. Um, throughout the years, there's been different rulings internally inside different casinos, whether if a host or some other individual conducts the transaction themselves, does that become a SAR? Does that get reported or how does that work? And those transactions can be really concerning um, if the employee them's the one conducting it. Yeah. Well, what do you mean by the host? So employees of the, of the property doing the transaction? Yeah, exactly. I know it wow. sounds kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I said, it doesn't, it doesn't happen often, but there are some times where the employee themselves will conduct that transaction and you know, unless they're in there on their off day gambling for themselves, it just doesn't seem to make sense why the host would be conducting the transaction. Um, and so that obviously is very concerning for our purposes. It's hard to find that out. It's not like, you know, we sit at our desks with a list of, you know, different host names and we can run through the SAR system and figure out who is who and what they're doing. It has to be pointed out to us. So if a SAR list, you know, so-and-so is a host and they're conducting this transaction, that would be something we'd want to pay attention to. And honestly, and lately, there's a lot of casinos where if that happens, they'll tell us about it on the front end. Hey, this person is a host and they conducted this transaction and that gives us something to go off of. You know, it's interesting because um, coming from the banking industry, I, you know, I would have just made an assumption, obviously wrong, that the code of conduct or code of ethics in these uh, gaming properties would say, if you work for us, you can't do that. So it's interesting that that's both an issue that you guys, that it's allowed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it probably is in many places. But just like I'm sure you know, from a banking perspective, when a when an organization gets so big, it's really hard with those internal controls to keep an eye on everything that's happening. Sure. Um, you know, we also see, you know, um, junket reps are still around, right? And they can help move some foreign money. And um, sometimes junket reps will actually front the money themselves. And so it's a little bit different than the host transaction. But it's also concerning because junket reps do have to be vetted and sponsored initially by a casino. And they're out there just to bring in clientele. But when they're the ones that are actually providing the money to the gambler to gamble and then get back end for it, I mean, that's, you know, could potentially be um, an area of concern, too. So you mentioned up front, obviously, uh, COVID, like everything else, has is, is impacted uh, the workplace. Uh, I've talked to some of your colleagues and I know that obviously many of them are uh, working remotely. So there's different challenges in terms of investigations. I know that Nevada has, has opened, I can't remember the status, but you know, a lot, lot of us saw on the news, what seemed to be a lot of uh, <laughs> let's just say not a lot of social distancing in the past right. month or so, but what's uh, what's the status in uh, Nevada now and how does that, 
uh, impact uh, your uh, investigative uh, over, oversight uh, of gaming and other things? Yeah, I mean, right now the casinos are open and it's all over the news about the, the lack of social distancing at times, um, but everything is still open and we're doing a lot of our um, a lot of our regular meetings virtually now. So those, you know, monthly meetings with different, you know, is or whatever it is we're doing, we're just switching them virtual, throw on a WebEx meeting, put on right. a suit jacket <laughs> um, and then you can conduct your meeting as far as work. Um, you know, the agents aren't going into casinos so much now conducting you know, surveillance or whatever it is they're doing, but they're still moving their investigations forward. They're still going over to the U.S. attorney's office. They're still holding, you know, proffers. Um, they're still issuing whether it's a target letter or a subpoena and the casinos are still responding to all of those. So it's just more about being creative um, on how to keep the investigations moving forward. Granted, I will have to check with them at some point to see the filings obviously there's going to be a decrease in filings because there wasn't any gambling there wasn't any patrons for a while um, but it'll be interesting to see once the casinos start filing all these stars again is there any different trends that we're able to pick up hopefully people that want to get back in there and have some fun uh, right. but i think we're a little too early to tell so uh, one of the things you were going to talk about is maybe some positive uh things. Uh, uh, the, the, the history for the AML community was that um, I know that the FATF had looked at uh, gaming laws and regulate or AML gaming laws and regulations in the states and had been uh, a little bit critical. And then I know through the and I interviewed somebody that used to be at the American Gaming Association that a few years ago they made some adjustments. There were some best practices. Obviously, there's been some enforcement actions. And obviously, obviously, the IRS role is oversight. In addition to some of the trends on issues that uh, are potentially suspicious that you have to investigate, what are some positive things? I, you know, I could I could just say, Tara, when I've gone to Vegas for conferences and occasionally we've been shown the security infrastructure at certain properties, it's amazing how much security there is. So uh, obviously that's important, for t perhaps for different reasons for the gaming properties. But what are some other besides technology, some other best practices you're seeing either in the training or just the due diligence uh, with, with the AML professionals, financial crime prevention professionals in the properties? I mean, probably the biggest thing is, you know, well, two part, right? One is I do think the industry understands now that we're not trying to get them. I do think that going back a few, uh, sort of a general feeling that, a career maker case could be made by a special agent if they were able to make a big splash in the newspapers about some case against a casino. And I mean, of course, if a casino is not following the law and they are violating the law, that is a, a very newsworthy story. But that's not what agents are trying to splash by getting their name in the paper um, about one of the casinos. And I think the industry has come around now we're just looking for compliance so whether it's compliance of the casino itself its employees its patrons or if they're doing everything there is plenty of work out there for irs ci special agents so i do think that has come quite a long way where it's more of a back and forth relationship as opposed to oh I, they're going to get it against me um and so the casinos i've felt are on board with that and, and that's a, a huge huge item for us um, because it does increase cooperation and then you know, as far as training, again, it's sort of a similar concept where I think they 
the casinos just want it. They want to know what it is we're looking for and what it is that bothers us. And that applies to Nevada Game and Control Board, too. We obviously have a good relationship with them. And, you know, both us and Nevada Game and Control Board are more than willing to get in. And we've presented at numerous, numerous um, casino executive meetings just to talk about anti-money laundering and things to look out for. And, you know, we have to be careful making but we can tell you what would be concerning and what would raise a, a red flag. And in general, the industry has invited us in because they want to hear our perspective and they want to do better and they want to know what we're looking for so that they can adjust their programs. A couple of years ago, we were talking about thresholds and, you know, it's still out there that some casinos might set an arbitrary threshold that any transaction below $500,000 is not contained. If you go to a different property, that might be $200,000. And right. that was sort of the talk for a while. And, and that seems to have gone away a bit. And they're looking at more of a robust program and taking in all facts to just setting a number. You know, we used to use the example that if a school teacher somehow started embezzling money from the school district, right, and stole millions of dollars um, and was putting that money into a casino, obviously that's something we'd know about. But you might not detect that on the front end, because if you're doing a search, you might just see, oh, it's a school teacher. Um, and so there's there's various you know items that need to be tied in together to make, um, you know, a solid report to law enforcement or a solid assessment of what the individual is doing. And the industry has been really on board with trying to get the picture view. That's great. Uh, let me get you out of here on this. You have had a long and distinguished career with IRS. and You've done different things. You've been in different cities where focuses were on corruption, uh, other aspects of white collar. And that now, obviously, for you say four years here in Nevada, if I'm coming in to either be an AML professional at one of the gaming properties or I'm coming in to work for you as an IRS agent, what are the things that you want me to know about uh, oversight in this industry that perhaps is a little different than banking and tr you know traditional financial institutions. Obviously, you're looking for suspicious activity. So what? But if you're trying to uh, you know do the training and, and you say here are the things you need to be aware of. You, you already mentioned having a robust program instead of just worrying about thresholds. But in general, what would your advice be both to somebody who's doing the due diligence from a regulatory standpoint, and then somebody who's in doing the investigations, what are the big, big distinguishing parts of gaming that perhaps are different than other things you've done in your career? Um, I got to go back to, to communication. You know, the industry is not clear and there's, everything is changing and ever evolving. And that's between, you know, criminals and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and all these other things. It's just constantly evolving. So advised communication is the most important, you know, whether it's an AML professional who sees something that they're not quite comfortable with and they call us and they ask for our opinion on it or an AML professional who wants to report something but is, is getting shut down by them, we're happy to help in the process and talk them through it. And the same thing for my agents too. I'd rather than pick up the phone and call over to who filed the report to ask questions before making assumptions and, you know, trying to open an investigation um, when you don't have all the facts at hand. Yeah, that's such great, great advice. You know, we always talk about communication partnership between law enforcement and the financial sector. So I think that's, that's a, not only a great recommendation, but words to live by. Uh, Tara Sullivan, thank you so much for your time today and your insight. Uh, stay safe out there and we'll talk to you again.